welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development where Richard and I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 Developer Platform. For more information on Office 365 development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. Okay, welcome to episode 51. How are you going, Rich? Good, good. Back in the US and A. Where were you? You were in London for a bit. What were you doing over there? I was doing a few things. Uh, met up with uh, a big Microsoft partner that we do a lot of support of, um, actually Lotus F1. So we were out there and looking at some of the cool things they're doing with Office 365. Got to take a tour of the plant and then uh, the, the UK um, sub for Microsoft basically did one really big dev camp this year rather than doing a bunch of little ones around the UK um, and they called it Recoder and so it was cool to go and and attend that and see you know how that was different from some of the other you know Office 365 dev camps we've done around the world. Cool and so how, how many people at Recoder in London? Uh, you know it, I never really saw a final number I would say it was probably around anywhere from like 150 to 200. I mean, it was it was a pretty full room uh, for like the keynotes. And then uh, each one, they had basically, what was different here is they actually did breakout tracks. Uh, and so they even had like an IT pro track as it relates to Office 365 development, which was interesting. But then they had kind of a beginner and advanced. And I would say, you know, both the beginner and advanced sessions around Office 365 dev had... You know, I would say 60 people in in each of the sessions. So it was, I thought it was a, you know, really good turnout and had great questions and a good, good little conference. Cool. And so you were surrounded by people that semi-sound like me-ish. Ish, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I got to speak Texan and... <laughs> Uh, I think everyone, for the most part, understood what I was saying. So <laughs> you didn't need subtitles. No, no. You weren't wearing a cowboy hat without expecting a cowboy hat. No, no. I I think Shups is uh, probably would be ex- expected, but um, <laughs> not not me. So um, what have you been seeing around the blogosphere this week? Have you um, been managing to keep up with all the travels? Oh, a little bit. Um, you know, uh, lots of lots of you know good things that are on my my list to go and. Make sure I read up on peruse. That's right. Yeah. So uh, there were some pretty cool ones here. Um, there was a good one around the um, cloud developer dot space. I don't even know how you get a dot space domain, but apparently it works. Um, he's running what looks like a WordPress blog from poking around at the platform, and um, he was talking about SharePoint apps or add-ins as we call them now, um, and talking about getting the current web to then be able to hear this one was, was grabbing javascript to get all of the tiles in the site contents page but being able to render it in its own you know app part or in this case he was throwing the results into a content uh query web part there using some css and rendering all out so essentially it's like showing the the list of what's in the site contents but on any page within within the site I, I do know that some people have already asked for this for the app launcher as well. So like on a home page of an intranet, being able to list all of the apps that show up in the app launcher or uh, in the your My Apps page directly on the home page of an intranet home page within, within SharePoint. There's no answer for that yet, but I figured I'd just show this one for now um, around the current web. We're actually working with Azure Engineering so that we can get that list of pinned apps 
on the the app launcher. Um, so they've added that to their Azure have added that to their backlog based on this is about the third ISV that's asked for it now. And most of these guys are building kind of intranet in a box projects or products, sorry, for either the store or side loading it, selling it directly to the customer. But I thought this was interesting just because it kind of was a similar theme, but more around the site contents rather than the app launcher. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things um, as I've, over the last year and two years, we're starting to work with more and more people that that don't necessarily have a, a great amount of experience with SharePoint. Um, and so I think this is kind of highlighted some really interesting things like going to some of these dev camps. I can't tell you how many people I see they try to go to, you know, tenant.onmicrosoft.com thinking that's a SharePoint site or, um, you know, doing all kinds of weird things. Well, one of the one of the interesting ones that I think we take for granted is, um, you know, throwing out things like, oh, yeah, go to go to site content um, or site settings. Like those are the two, you know, pages that as as SharePoint developers or SharePoint um you know, power users, we spend a lot of time in, and yet someone that's new to it, um, it's not always as obvious how to get there. So I think this is cool, like bringing it, you know, to where it might be front and center versus having to hunt and find, you know, the site content link. Yeah, and I think we'll we'll see more of that with the sensibility of being able to kind of grab those things and render them how you choose. I think the one thing though is that you know, the consistency of the UI, like I remember people trying to build their own more advanced Chrome controls and putting the settings icon on the left-hand side rather than right-hand side. I, I do think it's important to keep that consistency so that, you know, once people do get used to SharePoint, if they jump into your add-in and it's in a different place, it's going to frustrate and confuse users. So having that kind of um, be consistent and always in the right place it is, is going to be useful for the, the overall business user. But Yes, moving it around. Like I think in 2007, it was on site actions was on one side and then it changed and then it went back again, right? So we're just keeping people on their toes. The um, the other one, which was pretty huge this week, was a Vessa who is on vacation right now. And being from Europe, he gets four weeks off. Yeah, uh, let's not even go there. He's got a two, I don't know if, if for those that know Vessa, Vessa actually has like a little, um, and apparently this is very common um, uh, in Finland is is to have like a, uh, I don't even know what you call it, like a, a little like lake um, cabin, I guess, if you will. I mean, he describes it as a cabin, not as like a full house, but, um, you know, that's kind of where I think he goes and, and decompresses. He's got a little cool little cabin on the lake. So um, hopefully he's uh, having a good relaxing time. I know he's been doing a lot of work. He's, he's been crazy busy and he is still on email and I, I've replied to him saying, I'm not going to reply to you on vacation. But then he replied back going, please just reply. And I'm like, okay, I will. But um, yeah, he's definitely a hard worker. He doesn't often switch off. But what he shipped right before he left was um, this this transforming the SharePoint customizations to the add-in model training package, which um, me and him have worked on with the other uh, PNP guys, and, and you've done some of these videos as well, where essentially we took all the work that we've been presenting to various customers, and we've run a few kind of dev camps around this as well. And... Um, I kind of asked Vesa if we could record them so that other people could see them rather than having to attend an event. And so um, 
face to split them up and we actually have Bert and Frank and yourself and Steve recording various different modules and Vesta recorded a few too um, on kind of cutting these things up and getting them going. What what two modules did you do, Rich? I haven't actually listened uh, listen to your ones. Actually, I, I just did one and it was on uh, search extensibility uh, using some of the patterns and practices. And what was cool is you know, whereas like early on in patterns and practices, I was I was a huge contributor. I was doing, you know, a, a sample a week um, and, and I've been so busy in the last six months. Um, I haven't kept up with PNP quite as much as as that kind of core team that started. And and so I was I was actually as as Vesa reached out to me saying, hey, can you do this one of these modules? Looking at some of the content and, and all the new samples and things that have been put together there, it was kind of a um, an aha moment for me. I mean, it was really amazing. Um, I, I certainly preach the PNP uh, approach and, and all the great IP that's out there, you know, but seeing some of the really elaborate types of, of samples that are out there that are easy, you just pull it down, you know, put in your, your site collection path for debugging and go. Um, it was it was quite impressive to seeing all the things that have have been done just in the last six months since I last was doing a lot with that that uh, initiative. Yeah, and and so what they've done is they've recorded these videos. So for instance, Frank Morasco does one, which I think is really important for people that are kind of old old time SharePoint guys is around the enterprise content management capabilities and. He goes into deep detail about kind of using a taxonomy CSOM service and like showing some scenarios that are very common amongst customers there and kind of provisioning elements like content types and site columns using CSOM rather than XML and, you know, creating lists using CSOM rather than the XML template, this remote provisioning kind of approach that we recommend. And so that's a, you know, really good kind of video that explains all that. But what's really neat too is that we have hands-on labs that you can follow too. So they're all hosted in GitHub pages. So, you know, as these things might have issues, you can submit issues or um, make suggestions directly into the GitHub repo to kind of explain that these these things need tweaking. And um, it just really makes it easy to consume and, and learn how these samples and scenarios come to life from what's been provided by the community. So definitely go and check out Vesa's stuff. They are linked from, if you go to dev.office.com slash training, there's a module there about transforming your code and it lists all the 10, 10 videos and the hands-on labs and the slide decks that have been used for that, that training. So that's pretty cool. And then um, Mark Anderson's been on a bit of a tear recently with various different blog posts, but one that he has pointed out, which he posted on uh, Unity, right to unity.com was around these new kind of ready to go portals that um you know mark cashman and bill bear and oh jim aitking have been pushing around uh, that run these kind of ready to go portals and actually and also christoph with the group stuff from um from our immediate team here in marketing but one thing you pointed out was that a lot of these new portals are actually spars and so if you kind of start digging into the code um in the page layouts and looking at how these things are all being built they're all leveraging single page applications. And so, you know, he, he was saying like how he's impressed with the fact that we're moving to this, you know, the modern age of web development and not being so traditional with our page models that SharePoint has. But interestingly, a lot of those ready to go portals were actually all of them. They're actually SharePoint under the covers. So these are great examples of how you can use SharePoint as kind of your data layer and, you know, building some of your business logic into it like through workflows and so forth but your presentation layer can be whatever you like it to be and and this is how that engineering team are, are using SharePoint in that way yeah you know it's um it's kind of 
a, a big direction we're taking towards, you know, these modern portals. And, and you know, he kind of highlights some of the, you know, new things we're doing around, um, you know, not only the fact that these are single page applications, but because of that, you know, the these publishing pages have a really small footprint compared to, you know, all the other junk that you would get with a traditional um, a, a traditional publishing page. Yeah. And I think, you know, part of that will be that essentially where we're going with this is that we, we're going to have more and more of this going on um, in terms of how you can extend and customize. Obviously, you know, app parts won't run on these new modern experiences because app parts aren't spa compatible you know their app parts are relying on living inside a sharepoint page model page and so there's some stuff that's being kind of spun around internally at the moment which um we'll be able to disclose soon to mvps and then we'll disclose more publicly as well for feedback that i think will really excite people in how you can extend uh, these new portal experiences in the user interface in a way that will support that spa spa technique which is cool and then another one, um, Tim Farrow, who um, I've met a few times now at various events and really smart guy. Um, and he's, he started blogging again as he's learning new things, which is really the way I got stuck into blogging. Um, he did post a video shout out to one that I did during the Connect event last year around uh, connected services in Xamarin inside Visual Studio. And it's terrible how every time someone snapshots one of my videos, I've always got this awkward like look on my face as if I've, I don't even know what that would look like, but they never get me smiling. It's always mid action, mid, mid, uh, mid gesture. And I always look a bit dumb. And I, I always tell them like, can you change it? Like, no, the video engine just picks a random like screen by default. And that's what gets used. So thanks very much guys. So there's a terrible photo of me on his blog post, but he did his own video, um, based on visual studio 2015, RC, so the release candidate that's available right now. And what you'll notice if you've actually used that is we've changed the wizard a little bit. It's a bit cleaner um, when you go through it. Uh, it's more in the style of the rest of the Visual Studio IDE now. Uh, but the really cool thing about this is, is for anyone that's going to listen to us pretty much apologize and grovel around the fact that the Visual Studio experience for Ad Connected Service, if you were doing ASP.NET MVC websites in the past, was that there was a bunch of either manual injection of code you'd need to put into the project for, to get it working, or you'd have to download Shax's sample um, and use that as a base for it to actually work properly. With the new Visual Studio 2015 RC, you can take an existing ASP.NET web app project or a brand new one, and you just ch check the authentication box and you put in your tenant name for your Office 365, and it'll automatically wire in all the right NuGet packages and configure the web config correctly. And so soon, the minute you connect to the Office 365 APIs and it pulls down the NuGet packages needed for those Office 365 APIs, you can get coding an F5 and it will just work. So there's no need to like manually wire any of the OWIN stuff in now. Um, or for you to kind of tweak any of the web config stuff, which is pretty cool. And that was like the legacy work that, uh, well, not legacy, but it was the legacy of Shax before he jumped teams and went over to the modern portals and experience team. So Shax is the one he's actually working on the extensibility of the ready-to-go portal stuff, which is good. And then two more very quickly, because um, we're running over a bit. Um, Stefan Cordonia, who we, we've mentioned a few times, guy in Paris, um, he'd flagged this in Yammer, actually, which was that I'd announced on Twitter that Yammer was now showing up in the Azure AD management portal when you went add new permissions 
to select various different endpoints, but he couldn't get it working. And actually, when I tried it in in anger, it didn't work either. I believe you ch- tested this too, right? Yeah. You couldn't get it to work. You would get an error. So that got flagged with engineering internally, and they raised some sev sev one bugs and got that through, and it got it working. And then what Stefan's done in in return for that is actually shown you how you can authenticate to this with REST and Swift in our iOS. And looking at the code, it looks awfully like C Sharp, but there are a few weird syntactical things that are totally different. I've not done much Objective-C or Swift, but I know you have. Like, What are the main differences in that? Uh, I mean, Objective-C and Swift are, are really different, right? You, you have header files and, and you kind of have some se- separation. Like almost having, if I had to compare it to something, it's almost like you have like an interface file and then like where you implement the interface everywhere. And that's kind of what like the header files um, and the M files kind of help separate. But Swift is very much more like .NET. Um, and even like .NET, it's become open source. Um, there are some things I love about Swift. If you've looked at how they do things like string concatenation, it's pretty amazing. You just basically put the variable in your string and can just put a, like a slash and, and it automatically concatenates it in there. But in general, you know, I've even though I've built like three or four Swift apps now, you know, to me personally, I still prefer, you know, C sharp, but it is much, much closer to um, C sharp than Objective C is. That's cool. And then lastly, on the same length, there was a Microsoft MVP virtual conference that happened in mid May. And I think we were just all too busy and coming off the high of um, building Ignite that we kind of totally missed this in promoting it. But Sahil Malik actually did a session with Michael Crump around um, building native iOS apps using Swift uh, that connect through to Office 365 APIs. It's a 45-minute video. I haven't watched it yet, but Sahil um, is a really good trainer, so I'm, I'm assuming that one's really good. So if you are doing any iOS development, there are definitely two people that are blogging and recording videos that would definitely be worth uh, worth checking out. So um, I'm off to San Francisco tomorrow morning for the SP TechCon Dev Days. So I'm going to be jumping on with a bunch of guys, hopefully. I've already scheduled uh, to have on the show... Who have I got? I got uh, Bob Germain and Mark Anderson, and we're going to talk about some different bits and pieces with them. But I'm trying to get because there's a bunch of other guys that we haven't had the show yet, like Sean McDonough and Paul Schaefline and Mark Rackley too. So um, I'm trying to schedule those shows up. So on tail end of this show, we'll, we'll have one of those interviews on, and um, we'll wrap, we'll kind of schedule those in for the next few weeks to get a bit of ahead of ourselves because we, we're often kind of week by week recording these things. And then we also need to get Chris O'Brien on the show. I know you missed out last week. I guess you were too busy and tired from traveling so much, but we'll get him on the show to talk about a few things as well. Yep. And you're, what, are you do, what are you up to this week, Rich? Uh, heading back to Seattle. We have some cool stuff that we're doing with a bunch of ISVs, basically getting them in. And um, this one is a little bit focused around Windows 10. So um, obviously when Windows 10 lands at the end of July, we want lots of you know new native type applications that run that platform. And so... There's a, a big, big thing going on in Seattle this week where we're working with some ISVs to be there and be one of our launch partners. And so we're hoping that some of those launch partners will be launching things that also connect to Office 365. So, um, you know, you can you can be rest assured if there's a any sort of new platform that Microsoft's putting out, like um, the, you know, Windows 10 universal apps, uh, we're going to we're going to be supporting that from an Office 365 standpoint. And so. Um, you can certainly do that, and and we're going to be working with a, a few of those partners this week on doing that. Cool. 
And then lastly, we did have another iTunes store review. So Brad Butler had posted this on May 29th and he actually sent the screenshot because he's up in Canada. Um, so he posts the show. He says, if you're currently an Office 365 developer or think about diving in, I definitely recommend subscribing. I listen while driving and from the office and in the midst of a business schedule, it's been an amazing way to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening in Office Dev World and what's coming down the pipe. It's really connected the dots for the direction the dev program is going on. Keep up the great work, Jeremy, Richard, and the rest of the team. And he was at Brad I. Butler. So thanks very much, Brad. Um, I think, did he, he must have pinged you his address, right? We'll have to send him some. Yeah, I sent him, a, sent it out this morning. He's getting a. Oh, good work. A Surface Edition Arc Mouse, which I'm just in love with that thing. So wow. it was good. He, he sent me some notes behind the scenes too. They're doing a, sounds like he's doing a lot of cool work around, you know, site provisioning and how, you know, helpful he's found things like the patterns and practices and some of the provisioning stuff they're working on. So cool to hear that feedback as well. So uh, thanks, Brad, for reaching out. Yeah, and, and we and Mark Rackley had flagged, he started listening to the show too, that our RSS feed, which is on our WordPress blog, which is what powers iTunes and um, the Android store, is um, only going back to episode, I don't know, 40 or 26 it doesn't go back any earlier than that so if you wanted to listen to earlier shows you'd have to come to our website to do it so i'm trying to work out with our blog.office.com content team here how we can fix that so the rss goes all the way back so itunes can crawl them all in um it seems a bit weird that they don't do that on itunes like just cache the episodes as the rss feed rolls over but apple being apple i'm sure there's some method in their madness i guess Cool. Well, enjoy Seattle. We will not cross paths at all because I'm not coming back till Friday evening. But um, I'm sure we'll catch up soon, mate. And um, I'll speak to you next week on the show. Sounds good. Cheers, guys. Bye. So the other thing we want to talk about today was um, the Office UI fabric. So one of the bits of feedback we've had from Office developers using the add-ins within like Outlook, Word, PowerPoint, and Excel is that they're the ones that kind of own the whole user experience within the task pane or within the content control that's sitting within PowerPoint or Excel. And so we sat with engineers and um, there was some great discussion going on in the MVP uh, Yammer network that we have where we kind of talked very directly with the MVPs and the, the engineering teams. And there were some examples of you know what other engineering firms have been doing like Google with material design, what Windows have been doing with WinJS framework. And so the office guys kind of went back and had a look at all that, looked at a few other things like uh, Bootstrap UI as well that uh, we've been using quite a lot in our samples whenever we've done like cause API stuff with Angular. And so they went and had a look, look at all that and they tried to work out a way to make it really, really easy for if I'm building a task pane within Outlook or within Word or those content panes, how I can light up that user interface to make it look and feel just like the rest of the user interface within Office. Um, but as they started doing that, what they realized was where we're doing these ready-to-go portals, like whether it's the video portal or um, whether it's the new Infopedia portal that we started talking about at Ignite, um, whether it's Delve or OneDrive for, for business, any of those experiences where they have similar kinds of requirements as well. Because if you notice, like when we first shipped video portal, it looked quite different from Delve, it looked quite different from Infopedia. So we needed to kind of eat our own dog food there and have this control set, not just for external developers, but also internal developers. And so what we did was, uh, or the engineering 
engineering team have done is they've essentially started to test this framework with the video portal team, with Infopedia, with some of these other portals that will be coming through that that VNext portal team have been actually working on, as well as now we're just about to ship it to the uh, the, the kind of their close preview partner ISVs that we work with to get feedback on this. So this, this hasn't been uh, released, it's not available yet, even in preview for the, the TAP customers. It's, we're, we're a very targeted market here, but we wanted to kind of seed it here and get some feedback and discussion going in the Yammer group, around, in, the, in the podcast group on Yammer, um, or, or in, um, in Slack as well. If you want to jump on Slack, you can have the discussion in Slack as well. And so um, I thought we'd kind of discuss it here, get some feedback from Andrew and Rob and Eric and CJ, and, and, and hopefully we'll get some discussion going because then we can feed that back into uh, the engineering teams. We don't really have a release date for this yet because it is iterative in terms of both being dogfed internally by these teams that we're building our own products on as well as with some ISVs that are using this stuff. But um, CJ, what, what, would you, what can you add there in terms of your discussions around this and some of the feedback loops we've already had around this with engineering yeah cool so i think the interesting bit about this for me is that like we're all developers here right and we crank out these absolutely gorgeous looking apps on day one and <laughs> and, um, and nobody nobody ever complains about how they look but when you're building apps uh like you know quite complicated web applications or um or add-ins that go into office then you want them to you want them to, especially in the add-in case you usually want them to sort of gel with the or, or look and feel like they're part of the application that you're putting your add-in into, right? And that's actually surprisingly hard to do. And there have been a number of control vendors that have done a lot of work around this over, over the years, building different control sets that sort of try to mimic the office ribbon, for example, or the, you know, the button styles and things like that. Um, and then more recently, we've been working with Telerik on, um, on doing a set of controls uh, with, the, with the office look and feel for developers. Um, and so with, with Kendo UI, and you can go get those controls from Telerik and use them today. But when we started those initial discussions with Telerik, what we really wanted to do was to be able to take our own UI fabric, right, the CSS and everything that we use to style our own applications, and we wanted to give it to Telerik so that they could style their own controls and their own control sets. And um, for all sorts of different reasons, some legal, some technical. At the time, we couldn't do it, but it sort of put a seed of a seed of um, motivation in the team to go and get this done, so that developers, whether it be Telerik or or their customers or any of our developer audience, could go get this, uh, get these CSS um, uh, assets and so forth, and and use them to style their own buttons and style their own controls and things, so that it can make their add-ins look better, make their web apps uh, look and feel more uh, Office 365 or Office centric. And, and without having to do a whole lot of the heavy lifting or the, um, the work to kind of mimic Office. And so that's taken us quite a while, but uh, we're getting close. And so we're starting to, like you said, we're starting to seed it with some folks to get early feedback. But our goal is to open source this, right? We're going to stick it on GitHub along with all the documentation. Anybody will be able to go download it and, uh, and use it to style their applications um, if they so wish. And so... Um, it's taken us a little while and we've had to jump through a bunch of like hurdles to do with the open sourcing process and some, some patent work that we've had to go do and some other legal work as well as the technical side of things. But we're, um, we're confident we can get close now. So uh, shouldn't be too far away. But hopefully this will really help developers um, build their apps more easily. AC? Yeah, this is, I, 
was really happy to see this kind of previewed a little bit at the end of one of the sessions at Build. And then uh, I got to see a couple little demos of this um, since then see some of the code base for it. I think that people are really, customers are really going to be interested to see this and really be able to take it. Developers are really going to be interested to use this uh, in their add-ins. Was, this was um, a couple months ago, I, I, put a, I put a blog post out and then I put a user voice post out about it and people jumped on the user voice thing quite a bit. So you could tell that a lot of people are really interested around this idea of a design pack. The same kind of thing like what Jeremy said, like how Google's got material design. We'd like to have a design language that not just a design language, but something to help us with the design implementation of all the different controls. And what does a toggle switch look like? How does a how does a drop down behave? How does a uh, like a date time picker or something like that? How do those things behave in Office? But not so much just in Office. I mean, what I what I'd really like to see. I mean, and it's part of this. I'm still a little unclear on. I mean, it'd be. It'd, remain to be seen how it's implemented. What I saw is that it was all jQuery and jQuery extension type stuff, which is which is a good good way of doing it. It's all web-based. Um, I know the focus is around the Office clients, around like but you know Word, Excel, Outlook, those. But all those same controls and that same design language applies to SharePoint as well. And so I know people are going to want to be able to. The first thing I saw with this, I'm like. Can I use this inside my SharePoint add-ins, right? And um, I, it wasn't it wasn't 100% clear that I was going to be able to do it. Although there wasn't really anything that I saw that really looked like it would prohibit me from using that. I know there's some. Uh, I I, heard, I saw some stuff about being able to absorb or assume the same theme from the hosting app. So if you decide to choose a different color theme with Word or Excel or or potentially with SharePoint, would that same color theme uh, trickle down right inside the components that I'm using so I get the same accent colors and stuff like that. I mean, that's what I would like to see, but I'd love to see the same design pack work both in the Office add-ins as it's going to work, work in the SharePoint add-ins as it's going to work in the Office add-ins. I think this is a huge thing. I think it's really freaking cool. I love the fact that it's going to be open source. I hope that we see a lot of people actually build additional components for it. And it's a project that is not just open source, but it's it's owned by Microsoft. And so you take community contributions from other controls that we see of things that people want. And um, maybe that we go out and we build. And if we have to sign like a, I think what it was a CSLA, the Community Software Licensing Agreement or something like that, where the community adds content to a corporate project like this, but that's open source, that you guys, I'm kind of like, I'm signing off anything that I add to it to say this is part of the open source. I'm not going to claim any ownership to it. I'd, I'd hope to see that kind of, of push with it as well. The same thing like what the Azure and the .NET guys are doing with some of their open source stuff. So. It's definitely a great move in the right direction. I'm really curious to see how you guys, uh, how everything kind of gets implemented with it. Mr. Windsor. Yeah, I agree it's important from the development aspect, but um, I think it's also like, uh, consistency of user experience I think is really important from a, a training and adoption aspect as well. You know, when you have a, an end user who's taken from one experience to a totally different experience, when they, when they navigate from whatever application they're using to the, the add-in or whatever, or you have one user experience side by side with a completely different user experience, it's just very jarring for, for the user, right? So um, having, you know, having ultimately where the user can't really tell this is an add-in that's beside what they're using or they've transitioned from the you know, Word or Excel to an add-in would be the ultimate, right? And, and really the only way that that's gonna ever be achieved is if the, the controls and the pieces, uh, the building blocks of the add-ins are um, at least from a user experience similar to, to the native app itself.
So this is actually the first I'm hearing about this, and, and I think this is a fantastic idea. Uh, not only am I an ISV, but I work with a lot of ISVs, and there's a real and significant struggle around uh, developing components that meld with the interface. Everybody has their own design language. Everybody does something a little bit differently. In Office, you're inside of the application, so it's not quite as jarring. But in SharePoint and Office 365, you've seen the things in the store. You click on one, you have no idea what you're going to get in terms of user experience when you go to that app. And it's not necessarily, at least with the more mainstream ISVs, that they're trying to be different. It's that there's no cohesive design language. So everybody is doing their own thing, right? Um, it's interesting that you mentioned the Telerik controls. We made a conscious decision when we built SmartTrack to use the Telerik controls throughout the interface. And we did it for two reasons. One, because it gave us a consistent design language. They have a nice, simple MVVM kind of stack for around all their controls, especially their database controls. But the other reason was because it was consistent uh, UI experience. All I had to do, I created one skin and I applied it to all of my controls. So every data control in my app, even though they may not be best of breed for what we're trying to do are all consistent, right? The buttons are in the same place, they look the same way, they navigate the same way, everything feels good. Right now, Share, you can't really have a SharePoint add-in because it doesn't look like SharePoint. We just have the thin right lip of Chrome at the top. Which if, doesn't match 365. Which doesn't match 365, right. So it, we have this very jarring experience for the user trying to go in an app. It, if, even if we don't get 100%, even if we got 50%, if at least the controls and the buttons and the sliders and transitions look the same, I think that's a huge win. And ISVs don't have to think about it, right? Here's our design language, right? Use it, extend it, carry it forward, right? But it's gonna look, it's gonna have a consistent look. I, I, that's a great idea. I hope we can get this out sooner rather than later. This actually came from feedback from user voice and from MVPs and from the ISVs requesting this, where, to your point, Eric, people were submitting apps to the seller dashboard or add-ins for Office or SharePoint and feeling like they were gonna get rejected because it didn't look like the product it was a part of. And um, the fact that the engineering teams are using this in their own products means that you know we've got it. We're invested in this. It's not something that we're shipping as open source and going. It's not ours anymore. It's the community's because our own engineering team is going to be using the the people pickers and the calendar controls and there's a list view control. Uh, the other one I noticed this morning when I was playing was um, the contact card that you get an Outlook when you click on a person where it pops up. That's in there and you can just easily use that and, and post data to it and it just shows up. And, and to your point, Andrew, just to answer a few of your questions, the, the, the original target was for Office add-ins, but it is definitely going to be for not just SharePoint add-ins, whether they're SharePoint hosted or provider hosted. The, uh, there's no dependency on them being run in the SharePoint page model, it's just HTML on its own. Yeah. But the other nice bit is, is if you're using, you know, you've got a SaaS application and you get the Azure AD stuff all working and you're in an app launcher, you can use all this stuff too. So it's not tied at all to any, any of the page models that we render. And that's why it'll work within SharePoint hosted in our existing page model, as well as like the video portal, which is a totally different spa page model with the way they're rendering these things now outside of SharePoint UI. So to take that to the logical extreme then, is it 
Are you saying like, I could stand up an application that's running on localhost that could have touched nothing at all with Office 365, but I could make my app look like Outlook. Yep, and so that some one of the examples of that is they have the the list view control. Um, so say you're inside a SharePoint list and you create a bunch of columns, um, it's just reference the JavaScript, reference the CSS, and then apply your div stylings to your divs, and it will basically look make it look exactly like what a SharePoint table table list would look like in the UI. Um, so there's no tie at all to the platform, which I think where the real power is. And to start with, we're targeting the web, but I think that the envisionment from a mobile dev side is that we'll do the same type of thing with uh, the other platforms as well. So that, for instance, if I'm in an office adding within the iPad, my controls will work there properly and look and feel like iOS controls uh, and be responsive to whatever section of the iPad that I'm taking control of. So, you know, we, we've heard the feedback and loud and clear, and we'll start with this like kind of alpha program, I guess, with select ISVs that are in our preview program and obviously getting feedback from the MVPs and then uh, you know, as we get more interest we'll reach out to other people and then we'll do a, a preview program where we'll put it on GitHub and make other people be able to download this and try this in their own add-ins. So one of the things I think that, that people should think about with this too is that, I mean, I know that as a developer, I know that a lot of us, we, we tend to have, uh, at least I know in my younger days I had this attitude and I've kind of given up and realized where my place is but I know that it's like, you know, I think I can do this better. I like to have my own look and feel too. And I think I've got a cool idea on how the UI should work. Um, I, but I think that there's, in my older years or in my, in my uh, more experienced years, I guess you could say, is that it's more about providing not just a consistent experience, but it makes it easier on my users, which makes it easier on me. With the, when, when they see an application that looks like it's part of Outlook or part of Excel or part of SharePoint, then they don't feel like they've left some the application that they've been trained on how to use. They feel like it's just an extension of something that they've already been used to using, and I'm just providing new functionality to it. Selfishly, as a developer, it means I get I don't have to do the one thing that I hate doing the most, and that's training end users. Because they know how to use these different controls, these different lists, they know how to use toggles. I don't have to deal with that problem. I rely on them having to having to understand that from the hosting application, which Let's face it, that's probably not going to be my problem to deal with. That's the customer's problem to deal with anyway, from an end user and a training point of view. So I think from a developer's point of view, this really makes our lives a hell of a lot easier and our applications look a hell of a lot more consistent. Well, and, and to add to that, once you have a, a, a definition for consistent controls, you can start to add tooling individual studio, whether it's Microsoft or third party, and, and, and improve the developer productivity as well, right? So, I mean, really that's the success of Visual Basic originally proves that. It's, it was based on the controls that were defined by the, you know, uh, the window standards, right? So, you know, it's a win-win, really. And also, like, when, when I used to work at Avpoint, we, we actually had a whole team dedicated to this. So, we had a team of about, I think it's like 20 developers. All they did was build controls that all of the products that Avpoint shipped used. And then, whenever a bug happened in one of the controls, it impacted all of our products. So, we'll have to work on, like, how we do the CLA process for taking pull requests and whether we have a, a production branch and a dev branch like we do with the PNP stuff to ensure that we don't have those risks as we go through. The beta versions that are being shipped right now, they already do package shipped, minimized and optimized min.js files and min.css files as well. So the, the engineering team are already thinking about like what that end product is going to look like, which is really, really cool. The one thing, so selfishly, the one thing I'm going to ask right away is that are you, do you have anybody building like Angular 
uh, extensions to it, where I can very easily go through and just have uh, directives that are going to be built in, making it really easy for me. I could just say, like, office-list or office-toggle or something like that to make it a hell of a lot easier with just putting a tag in instead of going through and having to say the bootstrap style styles and everything like that. So they're actually working on that right now, and there's already a few libraries they've integrated uh, into this piece because of that. Um, they did do a lot of research around what Bootstrap UI does with Angular, and I think they're not inheriting Bootstrap UI. I think they've basically done a similar implementation to it to try and keep it a little bit leaner from our perspective. So, again, you know, as we get nearer to be able to ship this in a preview where publicly people can look at it, um, there's already an internal Yammer group that the ISVs are using, but we'll open up another one so that everyone who's listening can kind of give that feedback as well. So, we just want to kind of get people thinking about it, and if people have good ideas or they're using current UI frameworks, which they find useful. I'd love for you guys to jump in the Office 365 technical network or on Slack um, and let us know about those and give you feedback because the engineering teams want to see what other open source communities are doing around this so they can kind of capture those ideas early and integrate them into the, what we're doing with the Office UI fabric as well. So um, yeah, hopefully that's interesting to you guys and thanks for your time. I know we've had, uh, it's been a long day of travel before we start kicking off this conference this week at SP TechCon. I, um, I was joking with CJ, we, he helped me move some stuff into my new house yesterday and um, he's looking a bit sore from carrying the slates on the pool table. <laughs> I, don't think I, I don't think he realized what he was signing up for last night. Yeah, pool tables are quite heavy. Yeah, yeah they weren't that light, were they? <laughs> no, not really. But um, as I was following him to the place where we were picking up the pool table, uh, we use Waze quite heavily in Seattle. And um, yeah, I flicked to the Arnold Schwarzenegger voice for the navigation system. And so in the words of Arnold Schwarzenegger, hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> so we're here at SP TechCon Dev Days. First time Dave Rubenstein has done this show. I'm here with a bunch of retrobates here, um, getting ready for the keynote tomorrow of uh, CJ, of, uh, who's not written his deck yet. That's pretty, pretty well prepared for it. But um, what I'll do is I'll just pass the mic around so people can introduce themselves. You may have heard of these guys before, but it's always good to kind of get a bit of a recap. So name, Twitter handle, how long you've worked with SharePoint or Office? Eric Shups. Uh, Twitter handle, Addy Shups. I've worked with SharePoint since before it was SharePoint, since 2000, back in the Tahoe days. Lots of scars. Rob Windsor, at Rob Windsor. Uh, SharePoint, uh, from a dev standpoint, 2007 or 2006, I guess, probably. I guess that's it, SharePoint MVP. Andrew Connell, at Andrew Connell. I've been doing SharePoint since September of 2003. Uh, Chris Johnson, uh, at Loungefly Z or Z. And uh, I think I got into SharePoint at about 2001 days. It was content management server first for me and then SharePoint portal server. CMS in there. I go farther back than that. <laughs> CMS is old school. It's kind of related. Uh, Jeremy at Jthake, and since 2003, I guess, and actually that was CMS related when I was working with you back then from Australia too. Um, so then the next thing one of the pass the microphone round on was the worst horror story in scope of development, because otherwise things are going to get really dangerous, uh, that you've had in your work career. So I'll start. My one was, uh, and I'm sure most of you have been in this case, where you get the keys to the kingdom of desk, dev, staging, and production, and you have your little notepad, or you have your, your notebook, OneNote, or whatever, with usernames and passwords, and the server names. And this one government department, right, the one government department I was working for. The Sony plan. Yeah, or, or, yeah, it was definitely very close to the Sony plan. Um, this one government department I was working for, the difference between the dev staging and production was like one letter at the end. 
And by accident, I posted, I typed in and RDP'd into the production servers. And all the servers were the same color background. There was no difference. So you really couldn't tell. So I pulled the WSP files, the solution packages, onto the machine from my local machine, remoting in. And I started running STS-ADMM on about 30 different WSPs at about 9.30 a.m. in the morning on a Monday. <laughs> Uh, on their main SharePoint farm and everything was on it. The document collab was on it, the social was on it, the, the rock lot and all these support tickets were coming in. There's people like running around the office like, the farm's down, we don't know why, what's going on, you know, who submitted the change request to go to production? And there's me like minding my own business in a command prompt, clicking enter every for every SDAM control as it's doing an IIS reset every time to deploy these farm solutions. <laughs> And to this day, no one ever knew it was me. And it, the farm was out for about an hour and a half while I, could, where I did a full deploy of every single customization. So the lesson learned there is, is that when you RDP into a session, you should really make sure the background of your servers are different on your, your things and that the namings aren't that close. Don't give developers the keys. <laughs> <to> the <laughs> you at least have got to avoid a Friday night deployment. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, well, it did avoid the Friday night deployment. Unfortunately, it just made people very unproductive for the first Monday morning. Yeah, you were very productive. <laughs> <laughs> I got my work done. No overtime on that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How's yours, Eric? Wow. Worst, worst things we've ever done as a developer. Well, I had a customer once. The VP of IT was a ex-SQL DBA. It was a Sybase DBA before that. So it was all about the databases. And this was in the 2003 release. And would simply would not accept that you couldn't directly write to or read from the database. And back in those days, it was a little sketchy anyway as to what we should, shouldn't do. We didn't have that good of guidance, but we knew that, you know, directly writing stuff to the database was probably a very bad idea, but this guy would not take no for an answer. Uh, so he directed the development team, there were about four of us on the team, uh, to uh, start writing queries directly against the database because it was too slow. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, and somewhere within the process of, of doing all this, he decided that because SharePoint was too slow, we were gonna write some uh, web services on the server that we were gonna, our stuff was gonna talk to, and then those were gonna talk to the database, the SharePoint databases on the back end. When they deployed all of this stuff, we had like 30 web parts that were all reading and writing to the SharePoint database. Right? It was an absolute mess. When they deployed it, every, this guy was a control freak, so everything had to go through him, right? And I was so done with this customer by then, I was so sick and tired of it, that I purposely changed some of the SQL statements to delete everything in the document and list tables. <laughs> knowing that the final deployment button would actually be clicked by the manager who made all of us do this stuff because we couldn't have access to anything, right? So when he hit deploy, it wiped out the databases. Farm was gone, couldn't be recovered. There was no turning back, right? And right after the deployment, I walked in and turned in my card and walked out of the building. I'm expected to follow that I, I don't have anything even close to that. Uh, mine has to do with versioning content types and site columns. Uh, 
you know, the first time around, you, you know, you create some site columns and content types, you deploy them, everything's fantastic. And then people say, we want to, we want to make changes. And when you don't understand what that actually means, once those content types of site columns are in use, changing them or removing them is just, you can't do it. Well, when you, and when you try to do it, what you end up doing is completely hosing the site collection. And I did that twice. <laughs> before. You didn't learn the first time. No, of course I didn't learn the first time, right? Well, I mean, when you reboot, and when the first reboot doesn't work, you reboot again, and you know, we all, we all do the same thing, yeah. So I, I realized that, you know, what's the new strategy, and actually that's one of my, part of one of my talks that I'm doing at this conference is how to properly version these things, because <laughs> once they're in use, you just don't make changes to them at all. Okay, so this one takes a second, um, but, it's definitely beyond the statute of limitations, so I can definitely throw this one out there and not get in trouble for this one. <laughs> this is a good solid. Well, it was when, I remember this happened the weekend before my son was born, and he just turned 10 this year. So I know I'm outside of 10 years, so I'm good on statute of limitations. Uh, we were, I was working for a, a, a Fortune 100. We were doing SharePoint 2003 back in 2005. We were taking CMS and Share, CMS 2002 and SharePoint Portal Server 2003, and we were putting the two together. And um, we were trying to figure out how to make, like, basically we were building what we now know today as WCM. And, but we needed a way to do the, have the navigation make it set up so that we could have, like, back in the day we had areas and those things inside of uh, SharePoint Portal Server. Every area had a channel inside CMS. So what we did is we built, I built a custom navigation that was going to be based off of CMS to let us control the whole navigation of the entire farm. Um, but it was built every time someone went to the site. So I had some caching stuff built into it. It was pretty good. Um, but when we went to go test everything, so we go to test everything on a, on a uh, uh, Friday night and see how well our performance is going to handle up because we're going to roll out the intranet the next uh, Monday. I was supposed to, or sorry, the next Wednesday, we're going to roll it out in the middle of the week. Don't ask me why, but we're going to roll it out on Wednesday. We, uh, my son was supposed to be born on Tuesday, first, first kid. So we go to run our test. We got a guy sitting there running the database, one guy running the network, one guy sitting there managing the servers and everything, and then I go start running the tests. And this is for a company that's got 15,000 employees, and we start running our load tests, and the database guy goes, man, the database is pegged at 100%. Okay, the web server's pegged at 100%. Like, wow, that's interesting. And I'm looking at it, they go, so what's the concurrent use, what do the concurrent numbers look like? I'm like, well, we can handle 73 concurrent users out of 15,000, which came out, our numbers were really, we were shooting for closer to something like about 25%. We were somewhere around 0.1% of what our concurrent user load was. And so everybody's like, man, this sucks. And I'm like, well, let me just take a look at it. Let me see what we can do. Now I'm lead dev, and I'm doing all the dev stuff, right? So I go in and I look at it and I'm like, what the hell's going on here? And um, I come to find out where I was building the navigation on the homepage, I had, done one database check right inside of a for loop when it should have been just outside of the for loop. So every user that was hitting the homepage of the site was triggering 18,492 um, <laughs> database queries. That number kind of sticks in your head. You know? It was hitting that many database queries on the first time they hit the page. Now granted, I was caching the nav, so we only did it once, right? Once every five minutes. So I went through and did that. I'm like, let me just move it right outside of here. And I ran my own test from home and everything. I'm like, eh, this is got some pretty good performance out of it now. So the next day I'm like, oh, we can go through, we can try it again, but run it again. So go through and run it. And now we're getting like, you know, 30% concurrent usage and everything. Everybody's like going, God, what did you, that's a freaking amazing. You did some killer optimizations. I'm like, yeah, we're good now. Like, okay. 
I'm gonna go have my baby now. You guys go launch the internet. Never fessed up till, till my exit interview. I'm like, yeah, so you remember that whole like performance thing you guys, <laughs> you guys thought I was like the SharePoint performance, like, you know, God there. Yeah, they go, I'm the one that added those 18,000 database calls, right? My manager looked at me and he goes, do you know that your, your bonus that year was based on the work that you did on that internet? <laughs> I'm like, I dropped my, I dropped the exit interview. I'm like, I'm out. Mic drop. I'm done. <laughs> That's mine. Don't drop the mic. Nice. Uh, that was a good one. That's a really good one. Uh, I think, I think mine. Um, it's, it's more a situation that I stepped into and just was one of those, you know, face slapping moments where you just like, how on earth did you end up at this point? That kind of moment. So I, I, uh, I was working at Microsoft in New Zealand. And I was doing some work for a customer up in South Korea. And um, they were moving to SharePoint, right? So they're moving a whole lot of documents, like terabytes of documents. And, um, and things weren't going so well for them. And so I, um, I rolled in there and I started talking to them about what, what was going wrong. And they said, well, we've, we've, we're putting in about two terabytes, about two to three terabytes of documents. And um, I was like, well, what, are you, what are you putting it into? And they were like, a document library. Just, just one. <laughs> just one. Yeah. And a document library. Any folders? And uh, no. And, uh, and, yep. And needless to say, it wasn't going very well. Um, and this was back in the days of, you know, like 250 gig was like the biggest database you really wanted to look at. And they were aiming for three, uh, three terabytes. Uh, and, and so I said, they said, well, it's sort of going quite, the import is going slowly. And they had this, they'd written this command file, that command line app that took, sucked documents out of the old system and stuffed them into the new one. And I was like, well, you're not gonna, like, you might as well just stop because you're not gonna get to three terabytes anyway. And they were like, no, 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 we're just gonna keep going. But um, it's gone kind of slowly. And so we, we've, we've tried a few steps to speed it up. I was like, well, what did you do? And, and they said, well, since we had one of one of these command line apps running, we just spun up 30 more of the command line apps. <laughs> and, and I was like, how did that go for you? And they were like, well, it actually, it's now it's going slower than the first. <laughs> and so uh, they, they learned some very um, interesting lessons about database concurrency and throughput and things like that. And uh, needless to say, they didn't listen to any advice and um, and I sort of backed the truck out of that, uh, out of that engagement, and let it go on its merry way, uh, and waited until the doorbell rang again for uh, round two. So uh, it all came right in the end, but that was that was pretty horrifying. It kind of like goes along the whole like nine women can have a baby in one month, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Thanks for listening, guys and girls. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all of our other podcasts and all of our amazing resources. You can also check here for more information on our developer program where you can get a one-year, three developer tenant to stop building against the Office 365 platform. We're always here to chat with you on the Office 365 technical network on aka.ms slash office365devpodcastyam. Or you can follow us on Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. So until next week, guys, get coding. Get coding.